This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for May 22nd, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. Well, I'm glad to see you're all here today. Now that doesn't mean that you've been left behind. It amazes me every time I hear someone decide that the Lord is coming at such and such a time on such and such a date, that people who study scripture have missed the fact that Jesus said, I don't even know. So I don't know why we think that maybe we should know, but at any rate, pray for Mr. Campy. I'm sure that um, he's getting a lot of ridicule today, and that's probably tough for him. In the New Testament, we read a number of stories in which Jesus appears to people after his resurrection from the dead. However, the Easter message of the New Testament is more complex than these stories alone. All of the New Testament was written from a post-resurrection viewpoint. And the stories represent various ways by which the first Christians help us understand the significance of Jesus' victory over death. They do this with stories and also by letting us see some powerful images that show us powerful meanings of the resurrection event. And I'd like to look at three of these images found in today's readings. The first one is our passage from Acts, shows Jesus standing at the right hand of God in a place of ultimate honor beside the heavenly throne. In the second reading from 1 Peter, we see Jesus as the cornerstone that is rejected by mortals and yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And in the third from our gospel from John, we see Jesus as making ready for us a place where we can come and live in the house of God, our Father and his Father. So we see him today as ultimate honor, the cornerstone, and an abiding place. These are ways that scripture presents the risen Lord so that we can recognize his significance for us and for all people. The first image, the image of ultimate honor, the Acts of the Apostles tells the story of the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Like Jesus himself, Stephen, when he is about to die, prays that those responsible for his execution will be forgiven. Now, we even know that God fulfilled his prayer, as we know that Paul, then known as Saul, was in the crowd, and he was helping to see that Stephen was killed for his belief in Jesus Christ. What makes Stephen be able to pray for this? Well, moments earlier, Stephen cried out, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
and he recognized Jesus in the heavenly place of honor. Here was the same Jesus who a short time before had been put to a shameful death upon the cross. The Jesus who rose from the grave with the wounds of the crucifixions still visible in his body. It was the very same Jesus that Stephen saw. The Father has delivered him from destruction and exalted him to heaven. Death's control has been shattered, and moreover, every power has been compromised by this exaltation. This is good news for Stephen as he draws near to the end of his life. He recognizes and rejoices that because Jesus is alive and because Jesus reigns, death will have no dominion over him. And we understand that death will have no dominion over us. Next, we see the image of the cornerstone. The first letter of Peter offers instructions regarding tradition about Jesus. The Lord is acknowledged as the precious cornerstone. That cornerstone that aligns with the new creation where Christians serve as building blocks in the construction project that God now has underway. Did you all know that you are building blocks? Well, that too. But you are building blocks and you are building a new creation. What's being raised up is a holy site, a new temple where people offer themselves as living sacrifices. This house built by God replaces every previous temple. It begins a new understanding in the relationship between God and between us as human beings. Christ is the cornerstone. Christ, the cornerstone, was at first rejected. The compassion of God, the truth of God, the wisdom of God, as embodied in him, was more than people could tolerate. And they stumbled over what was meant for their salvation. They scorned a precious gift. Yet divine power was manifest in patience and persistence. Raised from the dead, Jesus became the first and the final person in a new humanity, a fresh creation, a bigger and better building project to serve the purposes of God. Christ as the cornerstone announces that the universe does not spiral down to defeat and destruction, but by the grace of God, it spirals upward to victory and life. And everyone, absolutely every human being on this earth is free to join the winning side. The third image is the abiding place. In John's gospel, Jesus speaks of his father's house with its multitude of dwelling places. 
what's set forth through this language is not limited to heaven, but is meant to appear on earth as well. Here is an image of a place that serves to illustrate what relationships are meant to be. Jesus wants each of us to enjoy a relationship with his Father through him. That's what he prepares for us, is that relationship. The term that is often translated as mansions or dwelling places can also be translated as abiding places. It's similar to the language used when Jesus calls us to abide in him as he abides in us. And the life that Jesus shares with his Father, the life that we share with Jesus, are revealed as one and the same. The gospel also shows the confusion of the disciples. They're troubled that Jesus is leaving them. Imagine you've been with him for three years, and all of a sudden, he's going to leave. It would be scary. He reassures them that he is merely going away to prepare a place where they will ultimately join him. Thomas's response shows great confusion that he knows neither where Jesus is going, and he doesn't know how to get there. To this, Jesus answers, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Philip misunderstands Jesus' claim that no one can come to his Father except through him. And Jesus responds, I am the Father, and the Father is in me. Now let's go back to the Old Testament. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush and God was sending him out to do something he really, really, really didn't want to do. And he said, well, who am I supposed to say is sending me? What was God's answer? I am. I am. And what Jesus is showing us, that he and the Father are one. He is the I am. Just as God is the I am. The term abiding place, I think, sounds so comforting that this is an abiding place where we will be with Jesus and the Father. The first disciples are not the only ones who failed to grasp the meaning of Jesus' words. Believers down through the centuries have struggled with them. If you want to read an interesting story, read the story about the first council of Nicaea in 325. There were some pretty heated arguments over the nature of the union of Jesus with his father. We profess our acceptance of its final statement on Jesus' divinity each time we say the Nicene Creed. And many times I will say, before we say it, listen to the words that you're saying. Listen to what it says and what we believe. The council carefully articulates the statement of faith. But who really understands completely and fully this divine union? 
It is, after all, a mystery. Jesus' words, way, truth, and life, call to mind the wisdom tradition of ancient Israel. That tradition addressed the manner of living that will result in happiness. One chooses either the way of truth, which leads to eternal life with him, or the way of the wicked, which leads to eternal death. Jesus states that he and his Father are one. From this, it is easier to understand why Jesus would say that he is the way to the Father. We as Christians follow the teachings of Jesus, believing that this way of living brings us to a life with God. Because Jesus occupies the place of honor, nothing else is real. Not powerful people, or powerful countries, or powerful corporations. Nothing else is absolute. All idols are meaningless. The idol of money. The idol of the world the idol of jewels. Any idol that you can think of is meaningless because all authority begins, belongs to Jesus. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, the world, as I said, does not spiral down to destruction, but the massive building project that it is, where death surrenders daily to new life, and those who raise to Christ, thanks be to God, are many. Because Jesus provides us with an abiding place, we need not to get too comfortable here in this world. Nor shall we accept anything less than heaven as our home. In Acts 2, 9, 10, it tells us we are a new people a chosen, royal, and holy people, which enables us to proclaim the good news of God to the world. You feel royal? You feel holy? You feel chosen? If you don't, rethink, because that's what Jesus says we are. We are chosen. We are royal. We are holy. God is our reality. God is our hope. God is our home. And we may share this reality with one another and also with those who don't understand. As Christians, as chosen, holy, royal people, it is our job. It is our job to spread this understanding throughout our whole world. And if each of us spreads the understanding just through our world, and the next one spreads the understanding through their world, look at how the cornerstones build and build and build, and we build a new creation. God loves us so much as his children that he wants this love proclaimed throughout the entire world, 
to every single person alive. This is the meaning of Easter. Not even death can stand in God's way. We are talking here about something that is so huge that it's really hard to wrap our heads around it. Our God reigns. And we reign with him. Jesus recognizes that our hearts are troubled. And he addresses not only the first disciples, but us as well as he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, I don't know that there is one of us that's here today that hasn't, at one time or another, let our hearts be troubled. This world brings a lot of troubles to us. But we need to set those troubles aside and give them to God. And he will walk with us through each one of those troubles. He will not leave us alone. He will not abandon us. Jesus recognizes that our hearts are troubled. That's why he said what he did. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Put your absolute trust there. Not in yourself, nor in some fallible human, nor in some imperfect institution. Believe in Jesus, the wounded one, the murdered one, the one who now stands in the place of supreme honor. Believe in Jesus, the cornerstone of the vast new creation that we are building right now. Believe in Jesus, who offers us now, as well as later, a place to abide in the house of his Father forever. Amen. You have just been listening to Come and See. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to come and see.